open up your word and go through a few concepts tonight. Lord, I pray that you please help me to say the things, Lord, that you would have me to say. Help us to learn from your Bible again, Lord. And I pray you to just meet with us tonight. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Joshua chapter 16. And uh, thanks to <coughs> Miss Beulah, uh, she pretty much guaranteed that tonight is going to be a short sermon, right? And she gave me something. I don't know what it was, but it was something. And uh, so we're, gonna, we're not going to be very long tonight, okay? And I know I usually say that, and, and I'll be honest with you. You know, the Bible talks about confessing your faults one to another. Usually when I say that, I don't mean it. <laughs> but tonight I mean it, because my mouth is on fire. No, 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 I'm just kidding. No, it's good, good. That was good. It was delicious. Uh, Joshua 16, then. Now, uh, keep your finger there in Joshua 16. And go real quickly. Go with me to Second uh, uh, Timothy, Second Timothy chapter number 4. I'd like to remind you of this every once in a while, you know, sometimes we come to passages like this. You know, the book of Joshua, I don't know if you've noticed, but we are out of what some would consider the exciting part of the book of Joshua. You know, all the battles and all the fighting and all of that. All those stories were exciting. But as we continue through the latter part of the book of Joshua, it, it kind of slows down in the sense that uh, they begin to divide the land and they're deciding, okay, this tribe's going to get these cities and this tribe's going to get these cities. And as far as the stories are concerned, it slows down a little little bit, and some people would have the tendency to just skip through this, or just, you know, not even read it and say, oh, this stuff is boring, but I want to remind you of this, in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, we've looked at these scriptures before, but I want you to see them again, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, look at verse number uh, 16, the Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. Now, what the Bible is telling us there is that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, unto all good works. So when you come to passages like this in the Old Testament, and you think, there's no value to this, you know, you ought you to read it. You gotta, you know, I'm not saying you gotta study it and break it all up, you know, like, like maybe I would be looking at it more to preach a sermon, but don't just skip through these passages and say, ah, there's nothing there, there's nothing there of value. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all scripture is profitable. All of the Bible is good for us. If you go back there to Joshua chapter 10, and even in a passage like this, where they're just going through and dividing the land, you know, you can find a truth, and this, and tonight I just want to give you one quick truth. Out of Joshua 16, and I want you to notice verse number 10. Joshua 16 and verse number 10. The Bible says, And they drave not out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day, and serve under tribute. Now the Ephraimites is a tribe of Israel. In the entire book of Joshua, I don't know if you've noticed the last... 15 chapters that we preach through the book of Joshua, the entire book of Joshua, the whole purpose of the book of Joshua is explaining to us how the children of Israel came into the promised land and conquered the land. The whole purpose of the book of Joshua is to go into the land and to drive out the enemy, to remove the enemy, because this is the land that God had promised the children of Israel. And if you remember, the spiritual application is the, uh, the book of Joshua. And, and by the way, let me just remind you of this. Some will teach that Canaan land, or the promised land, is a picture of heaven. But I will submit to you that that is an incorrect way of looking at the book. The book of Joshua, I believe, is a picture of the victorious Christian life. 
And when you got saved, you came out of Egypt, and you may have wandered in the wilderness for a while, but when you began to walk with God and learn the Bible, and, and you, you, you crossed that Jordan, and you began to fight the battles that we got to fight, that, that's what Joshua's about, conquering the land. It's about having a victorious Christian life, and you've got enemies, and I've got enemies, and you've got battles, and I've got battles, and we've got to fight those battles. And in Joshua, they went through, remember, with Jericho, with Ai, and they started fighting the battles, they started conquering the land. They start seeing much success. But when we get to chapter 16, and it's not just in chapter 16, but in chapter 16 is one of the places where it's highlighted for us. The Bible says, look at verse 10 again. They're supposed to be conquering the land, right? They're supposed to be removing the, the, the enemy, right? And in verse 10 it says, And they drave not out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Here's what you got to understand, okay? This chapter highlights for us the fact that the children of Israel did not drive out, did not conquer and remove all of their enemies, but some of their enemies, because they were not able to drive them out, were allowed to stay in the land and live among the people. They say, well, what is the spiritual application there? Well, the enemy represents our enemy. And our enemy is the world, our enemy is the flesh, our enemy is the devil, but you've got to understand, what that all comes down to is this, your enemy and my enemy comes down to a three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. And these people, the application of the book, the New Testament application for us, is that these nations were wicked, heathen nations. And by the way, you know, if, if, if you remember when we were preaching in, through the book of Genesis a long time ago, 400 years before God ever brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, when God, when all the children of, of Israel were one man named Abraham, 400 years earlier, God had told Abraham that he was giving grace to the Amorites and grace to the Canaanites, and he was uh, giving them time to repent of their sin and to, and to get right with God and, he, and, and for 400 years he said until the iniquity of the Amorites be full and by the way you've got to understand this okay you and I we talked about this this morning individuals will be judged in the afterlife if you're a believer you will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ we talked about that this morning if you're an unbeliever you will be judged at the great white throne judgment but you got to understand this, George Washington, the, the president, the first president of the United States, had a famous quote. He said, nations cannot be judged in the afterlife, therefore they must be judged on earth. And God judges nations. But he's very patient and long-suffering. He gave the Amorites 400 years to get right. And they refused to get right. They continued in sin. They sacrificed their children to idols. They did wicked abominations. And because of their sin, God used the children of Israel to bring judgment upon those nations. And God is no respecter of persons. He also brought judgment on the Israelites when they departed. And by the way, God is no respecter of persons. And one day, God will judge the United States of America for the sin of this nation. Say, I don't like that type of preaching. You better wake up. In a nation where 3,000 children are aborted every day. In a nation where sin is allowed to run rampant. Where you can't even speak, you know, traditional values and biblical values today are, are, are looked at, you know, like you're some sort of a primitive, you know, just, you know, idiot or something. I'm telling you, judgment is coming one day. We can't, we can't stop it. I mean, the only way we can try to stop it is try to turn this ship around and try to get people saved and right with God. And if you help us, we'll try to do it the best we can. 
But nations are judged on earth for their sin. The children of Israel were supposed to remove the enemy. And the application for you and I is if you're going to live the successful, the victorious Christian life, you must remove the enemy from your Canaan land, from your heart, from your life. You've got to remove sin, the enemy, from your life. But they refused to do that. They weren't able to do that. I want to give you a few examples uh, in regards to this. You're there in Joshua 16. Go over to Joshua 17, just the next chapter over. Look at verse number 12. I want to give you a few examples of this. Look at verse 12. Yet the children of Manasseh, so this is another tribe of Israel. Yet the children of Manasseh, notice, could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And by the way, the Canaanites were the people that they battled with for the rest of the Israelite history. These people were supposed to be removed, but they didn't. Look at verse 13. Yet it came to pass... When the children of Israel were waxen strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. I don't want you to miss this. Here's what they did. Israelites were stronger at this point in their nation, stronger than the Canaanites. And instead of defeating them in battle and removing them from the land, here's what they did. They defeated them enough to put them under tribute. The word tribute means that they began to take taxes from them. So here's what they did. They put them under service. They did not remove them from the land, but they began to control them. And here's what they said. Let's not get rid of the Canaanites. Let's just control the Canaanites. We can control them and they can live amongst us. Now remember, what, what, what do the enemies represent? Sin. I just, want, I just want to give you a few spiritual applications tonight. Number one, you cannot control the enemy. You cannot control the enemy. You must drive it out. And today, the enemy for you is sin. And today, people have this idea. They think, well, I can control sin. You ever heard anybody say this? I can control my drinking. I used to work with people that... Uh, Smoke things that they shouldn't smoke. <laughs> they said, well, I can control it. It doesn't bother me. I'm still productive. Let, let me tell you something. Every drunkard was once a social drinker. Every, you know, drug addict started somewhere. And today we have this idea that, well, that's my sin, but you don't understand. I can control that. I can, I, I, I can deal with that. That's not going to hurt, you know, the things that I look at, they won't hurt my marriage. The, the things that I do, they won't hurt my job. The places I go, you know, teenagers and young adults think, well, I can be alone in a room with this, you know, uh, person of the opposite sex. It's not going to go too far. And yes, it will. You can't control that. You've got to understand when it comes to sin in your life, when it comes to the enemy in your life, you cannot control the enemy. The children of Israel at this time were waxing strong. And at this time they said, the Canaanites, not a big deal. Let's not remove them. Let's just control them. We'll keep them here and we'll keep them under control. But you know, just a few chapters later, you go into the book of Judges and guess what happens? The enemy's controlling them. Why? Because you're not going to be strong all the time. I can handle my alcohol today, but can you handle it? Tomorrow. I can handle my recreational drug use today, but can you handle it next week? I have this relationship I've got here that, and that I shouldn't be involved in. I can handle that. Today you can, maybe. But one day that sin will control you. One day that habit will control you. 
And you've got to understand when you've got the strength, when there, there are times in your life, do you understand this, that there are times in your life when you are more spiritually right than others? And when you are at that spiritual peak where you say, man, right now, everything's going good, everything's going strong, I, I, I'm right with God, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I, I'm loving God, I'm loving life. Hey, when you are at that strength, take that opportunity to say, let's get rid of some of the sin in my Don't just say, well, I, I'll keep it here. I think I can keep that under control. You cannot keep it under control. It will, you got to understand this, sin always costs you more than you want to pay, it'll always stay longer than you want it to stay, it'll, it's always going to impose on you. You can't control it. Get rid of it. You cannot control the enemy. Hebrews 12.1. You can keep your finger there in Joshua. Hebrews 12.1, just real quickly. Hebrews 12.1, let me just show you this. Hebrews 12.1. The Bible says, Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews right before the book of James. Hebrews 12.1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, notice what he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Do you know that there's sin that easily besets you? You know we all struggle with something? Now, I may not struggle with what you struggle, and you may not struggle with what I struggle with. I don't struggle with heroin. You know what I mean? I've never taken heroin. I'm not mocking you if you have. I'm just saying, that's not something I struggle with. But I may struggle with something that you don't struggle with. There is usually a sin that does so easily beset you. And you say, well, I can control that. No, you can't. I can keep that, you know, that's not going to affect my personal life. That's not going to affect my marriage. That's not going to affect my job. That's not going to affect me. I can keep that under control. No, you cannot. You may be able to keep it under control today, but the book of Judges is coming. You may, I got the, we got, don't worry about those Canaanites, we got them under tribute today. Next book, you're under tribute to them. Next book, you're a slave to them. Next book, you're paying taxes to them. And God had to raise up judges in the book of Judges to bring those people out of captivity when they already had the opportunity to get rid of that sin. You cannot control the enemy. You must drive him out when you've got the chance. You're there in Hebrews. Go to Romans real quickly. Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. I'm almost done. I actually am. Romans chapter number 6. Next week I'm going to show up. There's going to be a big old bag of those things. And it's going to be like, hit me on the pulpit. <laughs> Romans chapter number 6. Look at verse 18. Romans 6.18. The Bible says, Romans 6.18. Look what it says. Being then made free from sin. When you got saved, you were made free from sin. He became the servants of righteousness. At one point, you were under bondage to sin. But when you got saved, now you may still be in sin, but now it's voluntary. Because now you have the ability, you have the power, you have the Holy Spirit to give you the victory over that sin. The unsaved world, they, they, you, don't get mad at them for sinning, they can't help it. They don't have control over that. But an, a believer through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Bible and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get victory over your sins. He says, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Look at verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, notice it says, as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. Don't miss what he's saying. He's saying, in the same way you used to serve sin, he said, the same zeal you had for sin, he said, the same commitment you had for sin, you know, uh, people, people have told me before, he said, man, pastor, when I used to, man, when I used to drink, 
man, I was faithful at that bar. I was there every night. And you know what I think to myself? Man, I wish you were that people to church. <laughs> man, when I, you know, I used to catch my check, and I'd go out, and I'd go to that, you know, that casino, and, and 50% of my money went to that casino when I was under bondage to that. Man, I wish you were that faithful to the, your tithes and offerings. Look what he says, 19. I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity. He says, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. You know what I like about Paul? When Paul was wrong, I mean, he was all the way in, but he was wrong. Remember when Paul was Saul? He was persecuting the church. He was putting people to death. He was zealous, but in the wrong religion. And doing the wrong thing. But you know what? Paul wasn't one of these hypocrites where when he got saved, he said, well, I'm going to take it slow now. He said, man, I used to serve with so much zeal, the devil. He said, now that I'm saved, I'm going I'm to go all the way in. The same way you and I used to serve sin, and the same way we used to so get committed to the things that were wrong. He says, you got to get as committed to righteousness now that you're set free from sin. Look at verse 20. For when ye were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Don't miss that. That's a powerful phrase. What fruit had ye then in those things? What things? The things whereof ye are now ashamed. I spent a lot of time drinking. Well, what do you have to show for it? I spent a lot of time on drugs. Well, what do you have to show for it? I spent a lot of time gambling. Well, what do you have to show? What fruit do you have to show for that? Those things, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of that now. And we ought to be ashamed of that. I'm not beating you up if that's what you... You know, we all have sin, but here's what I'm trying to say. You used to be in bondage to sin, but you don't have to be in bondage to sin. Why don't you serve God with the same zeal you used to serve the devil? And what would I do? Don't play with sin. I can keep it under control. No, you can't. I, I, it's not going to... Don't worry, Pastor. This isn't going to get out of control. Yes, it will. You need to get... You say, well, I can, I can keep it under tribute, and it can serve me, and it can help me, it can be a relief valve. No, it can't. Just get rid of it. You cannot control the enemy. You must drive it out. Look at verse uh, 21. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know what I like about serving God? Is that I, I do get it right. I do get rewards for what we do for God. Verse 22. But now... But now... But now, being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Your life can matter now. Your life can be worth something. But here's the sad part is, you and I have been made free from sin, and oftentimes, you and I voluntarily put ourselves under bondage. Why? Go back to Joshua 16. You cannot control sin. You cannot control the enemy. You may be able to control it today, but you won't control it tomorrow. You, you can keep it under wraps today, but it will get out of hand tomorrow. You must drive it out. Number two. We said, number one, you cannot control your enemy. You cannot control sin. Number two, I want you to know, you cannot excuse sin. You must drive it out. The first step to getting victory over sin is acknowledging it is confessing it. When you say, I don't got a problem. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, that doesn't affect me. Yeah, it does. Stop making excuses for your sin. Are you there, Joshua 17? Look at verse 12. Notice the terminology that's used. Yet the children of Manasseh, notice what it says, could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. 
You ever have somebody say, well, I just can't do anything else. I just can't get, I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't get control over that. Go back to Joshua uh, 15, look at verse 63. Joshua 15, verse 63. Just a couple chapters over. Joshua 15, verse 63, look what it says. And for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, notice what it says, look at the terminology, could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. You know, what that, you know what they're saying is, they're just putting up an excuse. They're saying, well, we tried to get rid of the Jebusites, but we could not do it. We tried to get rid of the Canaanites, but we could not do it. And that's how you and I like to excuse our sin. Well, you don't understand. I, 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 could, I, just, I, I, had, I couldn't do it. I tried to get victory over that, but I couldn't do it. That's an excuse, my friend. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And you've got to understand that God has already given you the victory. To say, I cannot drive sin out of my life. I could not get rid of it. I tried to fight it. I tried to battle it. And I couldn't get rid of it. To say that is to put up an excuse. Because you're going to understand. God has already won the victory for you. And you know what? God had already won the victory for the children of Israel. Go back to Joshua chapter 3. Let me show you. Joshua chapter 3. We gotta, we, we're going to be done in like 10 minutes. Joshua chapter 3. Look at verse 10. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. Look what the Bible says. Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. I want you to notice. Remember, who could they not drive out? The Canaanites and who else? The Jebusites, right? Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. Now, Joshua chapter 3 is the beginning of the book. Joshua 3, verse 7. Look what the Bible says. And Joshua said, Hereby shall ye know that the living God is among you, and that, notice, He will, notice what it says, without fail, drive out from before you. Now, please don't miss that terminology. He, God, will without fail drive out from before you. Who's he going to drive out without fail? Notice, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Parasites, and the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the what? Jebusites. Now hold on a second. God said in Joshua 3, he without fail will drive out the Canaanites and the Jebusites. Why are you telling me ten chapters later, we could not drive out the Jebusites? There's that what I'm saying. Why are you telling me ten chapters later? We could not drive out the Canaanites. If they could not drive out the Jebusites, and if they could not drive out the Canaanites, it wasn't God's fault, it was their fault. They proved that. I'll prove it to you. Go to First Chronicles chapter 11. First Chronicles chapter 11. Remember, who could they not drive out? The Jebusites. Who could they not drive out? The Canaanites. Go to First Chronicles. We're almost done. First Chronicles chapter number 11. First Chronicles chapter number 11. Look at verse 4. First Chronicles... Chapter number 11. You got, you got all those books together. 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. 1st Chronicles chapter number 11. Look at verse number 4. 1st Chronicles chapter number 11. Look at verse 4. And David... Remember David? Remember King David? Only a boy named David. Only a little brook. Only a boy named David. And five little stones he took. Remember that story? Only a boy named David. Only a little sling. Only a boy named David. But, uh, how does that sound go? But he could pray and sing, and one little stone went into the sling, and the sling went round and round. You guys don't know any of these songs. <laughs> and one little stone went into the sling, and the sling went round and round, and round and around and round and round and round and round and round, and one little stone went up in the air. What do you it? And the giant came tumbling down. When I was a kid, we didn't read the Bible, we just sang songs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. First Chronicles chapter 11. Are you there in chapter 4? Look what it says. And David and all Israel 
went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were. Sound familiar? The inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, notice what they say to David, Thou shalt not come hither. And by the way, that's what every sin says. I'm going to take care of you, sin. You know what the sin says back to you? No, you're not. David comes to the Jebusites and says, Hey, I'm going to finish the work that Joshua should have finished. And you know what the Jebusites said to David? Thou shalt not come hither. And David said, Okay. And, and, and went running away. Is that what he says? Look what it says. Look at verse 4 again. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be the chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zerah, went first and was chief. And if you know the story, David took the land of the Jebusites. He took Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar to you, Jerusalem? It ought to. It became the capital of the children of Israel. You know what David did? Many, many years after the children of Israel said, We can't drive off the Jebusite. We can't do we can't give you know. Many, many years after somebody said, Well, I can't give ten percent of my tithe. Many, many years after somebody said, Well, I can't do I can't do that soul anything. I can't do that separation thing. I can't do that old fashioned music thing. I can't do that heartbreak. You know, here's the thing. I can make a great man. That's a good that's a good phrase. And when we approach something and say, well, I can't do it. Pastor, we can't take that building over there. Oh, really? Here's what's interesting. The children of Israel said, we could not drive out the Jebusites. But yet, David, many years later, said, well, I have a problem with it. Why? Because God had already delivered them. God had already promised victory. See, you cannot control sin. If you try to control sin, you will never get victory over your sin. But number two, you cannot make excuses for your sin. If you continue to excuse your sin, you will never get victory. Step number one is to say, Hey, I acknowledge the sin. I acknowledge, you know, I like what David, David shows up to Jerusalem and he says, There are the Jebusites. There is the enemy who wants to go take him. And you know, Joab, the great warrior, stands up and he says, I'll do it. And they took the land. And they took Jerusalem. And they got victory. Here's my question. Why did David do it and not Joshua? Or why did David do it and not the, the, the Israel of David... The Israel under the leadership of David, why could they take the land, but the Israel under Joshua couldn't? They serve the same God. They have the same promises. You cannot control sin. And you cannot make excuses for sin. Go to 2 Corinthians, real quickly. 2 Corinthians. We'll look at two more passages. We're done. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 10. That, that, uh, that, that thing is starting to wear off. I may preach a little longer. No, I'm just kidding. We're almost done. Second Corinthians chapter number 10. Look at verse 3. Pastor, why are you preaching this? Well, number one, because it was just the next text. I don't know if you noticed, but we've been preaching through the book of Joshua. <laughs> but number, t- number two, you need it. I need it. Why do people call me when it's church time? I want to pick it up and say, you ought to be in church. Call me. <laughs> if we're going to live the successful Christian life, we're going to have to get the sin out of our lives. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you understand that. God wants clean vessels. Pastor, we're going to go over to that building and we're going to fill that place up and we're going to get people and we're going to bring them to church and we're going to get them baptized. We're going to get them discipled. We're going to teach them to grow right. We're going to teach them to live right. We're going to help them with their marriage.
and help them with their finances and help them with their children and help them you know, live a, the victorious Christian life. And I hope we do. But we will not do it while you and I dabble and think that we can control sin and think that we can live in sin and think that we can put on a show on Sunday and put on a show on Wednesday and, and come to church and put on a nice tie and put on a nice shoes while we're living in sin in the world. We're going to have to get rid of sin on our eyes. See, I want victory. Need to get it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, look at verse 3. Are you there yet? 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, look at verse 3. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh. Do you walk in the flesh? We all do. We're in this body, aren't we? For though we walk in the flesh, look, we do, we do not war after the flesh. What does that mean? I mean, we're not fighting people. Well, the children of Israel were fighting enemies. Yeah, we understand that. that was, those were nations, and by the way, America's fighting people right now. Nations do those things, but you and I, the, the spiritual application, I'm not saying we need to go attack the enemy today. Let's go find them and whatever we're against, and let's go find them and, and fight against them. No, it's not a physical warfare, it's a spiritual warfare. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Notice, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of, notice this, strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? That's what we would call today like a base. Uh, if you're thinking of like a war type mentality, you think of an army, they, they had a strong hold. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. There was a location that they held that they were strong in. And you know what? Sin has strongholds in your life. There are things that you struggle with. I'm not against you for struggling with them. We've all struggled. <laughs> but we've allowed sin to bring strongholds. But notice, look at verse 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. And through God, and only through God, can we begin to pull down those strongholds. You understand what the Bible is saying? Look at verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing, notice what it says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know what that is? Victory. You know what God wants for your life? Victory. So how do we get that? You will never get it by dabbling in Christianity and living in sin. What do we do? Stop trying to control your sin. You never will. Die tonight. I'm waging a war. What, you know, what's your sin? I don't know. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your sin is. But whatever it is that God is dealing with you and saying, man, you really you ought to put that away. Tonight, you ought to decide. I'm waging war on that. I'm done trying to control it. I'm done trying to have it be part of my life. I cannot control it. It will eventually control you. We must get rid of it. Go back to, first, uh, to Joshua chapter 14. We're done right here. Joshua 14. Remember Caleb? We've been talking about Caleb for a few weeks. Caleb, you know what I like about Caleb? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mention this about Caleb before, and I did it on purpose because I wanted to mention it today. So we're not going over material that we've gone over before, but let me just show you something about Caleb. Caleb, Joshua, uh, Joshua chapter 14, verse number 8. Joshua 14 and verse 8. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 14, verse number 8, Nevertheless, my brethren... Uh, this was Caleb speaking. He says, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me. 
made the heart of the people to melt. Remember, he went into, 12 spies went in, 10 came back with a bad report, an evil report, 2 came back with a good report, their names were Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb says, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people to melt, but I, notice the difference between them and Caleb, I holy, do you see that? Now that's not holy like H-O-L-Y, that's holy H. W-H-O-L-Y. What that means is, he says, I completely followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on on that day, saying, Surely, the land whereon any feet have trodden shall thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly, thou hast completely followed the Lord my God. Get down to verse number 14. Look what it says. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jebusheth, the Kenizzite, unto this day. Why? Why did Caleb have no problem driving out his enemy? Here's why. Because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Let me ask you a question. How much does God have of you? Boy, he's got my Sundays. That's not everything. Can you put a percentage on it? Well, he's got 10% of me. He wants 100% of me. Well, he's got 50% of me. He's not good enough. He wants all of you. So that doesn't mean, I've been talking about this one, that doesn't mean you have to be in church every day. But God wants you to serve him every day. God wants you to love him every day. You cannot serve two masters. You will either hate the one and cleave to the other. You can't serve God and man. You've got to decide today, I am not going to allow sin to live with me. The mistake that the children of Israel made in a custom for generations to come is those little verses in between all their successes. Did you notice how an entire chapter is given about the cities they conquered? And then just a few little verses say, but they didn't drive out the Jebusites. They didn't drive out the Canaanites. They didn't drive out these people. The entire book of Judges, the entire book of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Who are they fighting? The Philistines. Who are they fighting? The Canaanites. Who are they fighting? The Jebusites. Just get rid of the sin in your life, and you can live the victorious Christian life. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer, Heavenly Father. Lord, I ask that you'd please help tonight. Lord, we we were just in Joshua 16. Is this next passage in Scripture? But Father, I pray you'd help us to be encouraged to fight the sin in our lives. We cannot have your blessing while we dabble in sin. Lord, I pray that as we get ready to conquer more land, we get ready, like Caleb said, I want this mountain. Lord, as we get ready to take on a new facility and take on bigger goals and try to reach more people and do more for God, the hard part of transition is in transitions you often lose people. When things are growing, they become uncomfortable. There's those growing pains and people start just slipping away. Help that not to be Verity Baptist Church. Help us, Lord, to get more on fire, to get more right with you, to get more interested in serving you. Lord, help us to pull down those strongholds. Father, we love you. Precious name I pray. Let's go ahead and take our songbooks tonight. We'll sing page number 304, Nothing Between My 